It's really great to have you with us. You survived the arrival of uh, third winter. Um, and I uh, just wanted to be really practical in my sermon this morning. Is it time to change your winter tires yet? No. Uh, and, that is, uh, and that is basically, and I've learned in my five years at Alberta that the answer is always no. <laughs> they will always come in handy somewhere. <laughs> We're in week three of our series called Properly Formed, the series about how to pray and why it helps. Trying to be deeply practical in this series to sort of root us into the, the sort of navigating the basics at some level of what it is to have a life of prayer or for prayer to be a significant part of our life. In week one, we talked about how prayer has a low bar. Anyone can pray. In week two, we talked about how prayer is something that we learn. It's not something that comes to us naturally, even though there's something of God draws it out of us. It's something that we have to learn. And so perhaps it's appropriate then at week three to get to the point where maybe the question we need to ask is, what even is prayer? It's like, yes, we get that we can all do it. Yes, it's something that we can learn. But perhaps this brings us to the place of asking, what is prayer? And to answer that, I want to take us back to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches about prayer. And what's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount is that roughly in the middle of this amazing piece of text from Jesus, where he teaches through all sorts of aspects of the kingdom of God, but roughly in the middle, he turns his attention to prayer. One of the great modern teachers on prayer, Eugene Peterson, phrases it in a slightly long quote, but some beautiful words. He, he phrases it like this to help us. Prayer is the core of the Sermon on the Mount teaching. It holds the sermon together and animates it. A kingdom of heaven life consists of things to do and ways to think, but if there's no prayer at the center, nothing lives. Prayer is the heart that pumps blood into all of the words and acts. Prayer is not just one more thing in an inventory of elements that make up a following Jesus kingdom of heaven life. Prayer is the heart. If there's no heart doing its work from the center, no matter how precise the words, no matter how perfectly formed the actions, there is only a corpse. It may be a very lovely corpse. The embalmer's art, especially when the embalmer knows his or her Bible, works wonders with appearances. But dead is dead. Rest in peace. Our lives are animated by prayer. They're held together by prayer. So it's probably noteworthy then that in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus turns his attention to talk about prayer, notice how he starts. He starts with a warning. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then you, your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What is prayer? 
Well, Jesus says, here's what it's not. (laughs) Before I talk to you about prayer, Jesus says, here's what prayer isn't. Prayer is not theater. Prayer is not performance. Jesus says, don't be Don't pray so that other people will see you. Don't pray to impress other people. Notice this. I've been reflecting on this in my own personal life throughout this series as I've been rereading this passage again and again. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, they have received their their reward in full. If you pray to impress others, Jesus is like, hey, that prayer, the prayer that's designed to impress others, guess what? It gets answered. The problem is, all that you get is others are impressed. (laughs) You go into the prayer with the goal, everybody's going to love my prayer. Guess what? They might. You might get a result. You might achieve exactly what you've set out for. But Jesus is counseling us, like, you can have better aims than that. Your prayer can have more substance than just impressing everybody else. In fact, impressing everybody else, you don't even need to be worried about that. don't even need to care about that. There's a story of D.L. Moody, the old uh, Chicago-based preacher who uh, was big news in Chicago in the 1800s. And uh, he used to have reporters would turn up at his sermons and transcribe them so that you could read his sermons in the newspaper on Monday morning. You know, so things are pretty much the same as these days. And, uh, and one time, Moody was coming to the end of his sermon, and he prayed, and the reporter at the end, one of the reporters came up to him and said, did you realize that your closing prayer had three grammatical errors in it? I'm so glad people don't write reports on my sermons. <laughs> they would be like, do you know what grammar is? <laughs> do you realize that your prayer had three grammatical errors in it. Do you know what D.L. Moody said? He said, that's okay. I wasn't talking to you anyway. <laughs> that's okay. I wasn't talking to you anyway. Prayer is not performance. Prayer is not theater. But prayer is also not rhetoric. Jesus says, don't use lots of words. There's types of people that pray lots of prayers. I've got a lot of words that, that, you know, that go on and on and on. That's not what God is looking for because the many words don't tell God anything because God already knows your heart. So whatever prayer is, it's not a lecture directed towards God. Prayer is not to impress. Prayer prayer is not a bumper sticker, Eugene Peterson says, that kind of announces to everybody else where you stand on things because prayer is not for everybody else. Prayer is for you and for God. So what is prayer? Well, having assessed what it's not, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Might I just suggest, this prayer continues. Perhaps you can even feel it forming in your mind. You know where it goes next, perhaps. But just take this opening part. If we pause here, and perhaps just spend some time here this morning, we might be able to see what prayer is. In fact, I think a lot of what we know about prayer we can learn by the way Jesus frames these words in this opening section of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, 
The 8th century Syrian monk, John Damascene, said, prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. What is prayer? Prayer is raising. Prayer is about lifting something up. Not because God is up. Sometimes we hear the language of God is in heaven and we think He's far off and distant from us, but that's We've kind of hopefully picked up from Jesus that that's exactly not how God works, that God is with us. But prayer is about lifting things up to God. We come to God and we remember that He is not stuck at our level. God is not stuck in the pit that I find myself in. God is not stuck in the, in the swamp of my life. But God is above that and He can draw me up to it. So when I pray, there's a confession that God is with me, but not stuck like me. So I lift, I raise my prayers to God. Perhaps there's also a confession that if I am somehow below, and we're talking in metaphor here, you understand, but if I am somehow below and God is above, there's also a reminder when I say our Father in heaven, there's a reminder of who God is and who am I, and also there's a reminder of who's in charge. I think it's very important for us to come to a God and pray and realize, if nothing else, I am not in control of this. The writer Anne Lamont said there are three categories of prayer. <laughs> wow, help, <laughs> and thanks. <laughs> and some of our prayers begin with, <laughs> help comes from this realization that we're not in charge. So we pray to a God in heaven because he is the God who is looking after us. So prayer is always lifting. We cast our cares towards God. We lift our praise towards God because he helps us and he blesses us. So there's a, there's a trajectory that's going on in prayer. In week one, Tori talked about how we can take our requests and our asks to God, because even though God is above us and God is somehow in charge when we are not in charge, He wants to hear what we have to say. So our Father in heaven, prayer is a raising, but prayer is also a response. Our Father, the prayer begins, our Father, the Theresa Martin said, prayer is a surge of the heart. It is a simple look turned toward heaven. It is a cry of recognition and of love, embracing both trial and joy. Our Father, I know who I'm praying to. Jesus doesn't ask you to pray to a God you don't know. He asks you to pray to a God you do know, a God who is our Father. But if he's our father, that suggests that the story didn't start with your prayer. Let me navigate this cautiously for a Sunday morning in, with multiple ages in the room. Some of us sat with our fathers. But your father didn't become your father when you realized he was your father. Something happened before that. So when we come to God and we say, our Father, something has happened before that for that to be true. Something has happened before we were aware. Something has happened before we came to realize He was our Father. Before us, God was acting towards us. We come to God and say, our Father, and we understand and feel the grace and the hope of that, but it didn't begin there. It all happened 
before. We pray to a God, we recognize a God. Martin says it's a cry of recognition of love. We pray to a God we recognize and a God we love because he first loved us. God is in heaven. Our prayer has a direction and it has an object, our Father. So God is not unknown to us. As we come to meet him, he already knows us. As God's spirit is in us, we recognize the God to whom we pray. Prayer is a raising and prayer is a response. But it's also father, if I'm not making too much of four words. (laughs) Our father, it says. Prayer is how we develop a personal relationship with God. Now, we often, when we talk about God, it could sound a little far out. We talk about God the creator, God who formed the world, God who is beyond us, who we can only know in part. All of these ideas come from Scripture. He creates. He is beyond us. We know him only in part. And yet Jesus instructs us to pray to him as Father, which is close, which is intimate, which is caring, which is present. God knows us and desires to be known by us. So prayer is a relationship. It's a raising. It's a response, but it's also relationship. And that shouldn't surprise us all that much. If we began reading in Genesis and we learn about Creator God, within a very few verses at the start of Genesis, we see this Creator of God, this Creator who holds all things together, who forms all things into being. He makes humans, and this God just wants to be in the garden with these humans. One of the first things we learn about God is that he wants relationship. We talk about God as Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Again, relationship. It's as if God is modeling for us how the world should be. And prayer centers that for us. Prayer invites us into relationship. And so we know that theologically, but I wonder if we can also know that experientially. In a world of facts and rationality, leaning into experientially might sound a little bit far off. I prefer facts, I prefer, you know, I prefer it written down, I prefer it analyzed, you know, I want to know the science of prayer, we might say. I want to know the theology of prayer. But is love and relationship ever devoid of experience? Like, how do you know someone loves you? Can you prove that someone loves you? How do you know someone's your friend? Can you prove that they're your friend? If I asked you to prove that someone was your friend, which would be a weird conversation, by the way, if anyone's ever like proved that they're your friend, like something's going on with the two of you, you should probably address that before proving that somewhere else. But, But how do we prove that someone's our friend on paper? We probably would talk about experience, wouldn't we? We would probably talk about what we feel, of what we've known, of what we've encountered. And if we're going to pray, if we're going to pray, we have to open our minds to a transcendent life. We have to open our minds to the fact that some things are beyond us. Prayer is asking us to join into a relationship with a God who is unseen. Jesus talks about this right at the start. He says, your Father who is unseen. Prayer is an invitation into faith. It's an invitation into something beyond. But in that beyond, it's also an invitation to relationship. So when it comes to prayer, 
learn some theology of prayer. Hopefully, some of that is leaking out throughout this series, but also learn to experience prayer. And if that's unusual for you, talk to people who pray. Ask about their experience. Let them tell their stories about what prayer has meant to them and how it's relationship. I was thinking about relationships, and again, we're in metaphor here. All talk about God at some level eventually starts to struggle with language, right? And we struggle to sort of frame some of it together. But I was thinking about how we grow relationships. How do you grow a relationship? And I wonder if those lessons as to how we grow relationship might help us in our prayer lives. What do relationships need? They need time. Have you noticed how destructive to a relationship a lack of time is? Two years of pandemic, it's affected our relationships, hasn't it? I've talked to people on a relatively regular basis who say, you know, I've lost friends over the last two years. And some of the friends have been lost because we've become deeply polarized as a people over the last two years, or deeply more polarized perhaps. But also some of our relationships have struggled because we just didn't see those people. Time is almost fundamental to all relationships. How much time do we spend in relationship with the God to whom we say we want relationship with? And what about learning? Like maybe it's not obvious to your really deep friendships, but there was a time that you didn't know that person so well. There was a time where you didn't know so much about them. And now as you're learning this person, you've become better friends. Is the same true about our relationship with God? Have you ever had a friend lie to you? Have you ever been in a situation where a friend was living a life other than the one they were presenting to you? Deeply, deeply destructive and hurtful. So again, friendships are built on honesty. They're built on listening. If you have a friend that you talk to but never listen to, you don't have a friend, you have a student. And they may not be a willing student. (laughs) Good relationships will change you. I hear this so often. People go, I've known this person for so long, and, you know, they've never asked me to change. I'm like, well, get a new friend. Like, my, my best friends have formed me, have shaped me, have adjusted me. I hope that I'm better because of them. If I'm worse, it's not their fault. It's definitely mine. But relationships change us. Time, learning, honesty, listening, change. They're all things you know about your relationships. And relationships sometimes need silence. Sometimes the mark of a really good relationship is silence. I remember going on a road trip with a friend once, and it was a long trip. And there was huge periods of the trip where we were just driving. There was no music on. We were just enjoying each other's company without saying anything. And at that point, you almost realize, wow, this is a good friendship. If I can just be present to this person without filling the air with noise. What if all of these things might help us grow our relationship with God. Sky Jitani in his book that we're recommending throughout this series says this, if you have been struggling and hungry for a deeper faith, a life with God, not merely a life full of knowledge about him, you, you must pray. And prayer is the conduit between our head and our heart. It's the catalyst that changes mere knowledge into love and love into action. What do we want in prayer? We want to find God and be formed by him. Finally, as we move down to another line of this this great prayer, the prayer says, hallowed be your name. 
There's a confession in the prayer about the reality of God, that God is real. Just this week in the midweek podcast, Kristen and I were talking about this word hallowed and how it means at some level that God is uncommon. I am really common. In one sense, you know, everybody wants to say, oh, I'm unique in my own way, but there's a lot of us humans and we come before the one God. The common comes to the uncommon and admits that both are real. I am real, you are real, and this uncommon God is real. So prayer is an invitation to confess that this is all real, that the God that we pray to exists. I love this from Walter Burghardt, who says, prayer is a long, loving look at the real. It's long because relationships take time. It takes time to develop relationship and understanding. It's loving, because it's a response to God's love for us. It's also a look because prayer is contemplative. It doesn't always involve talking. Sometimes it's just about being in the presence of God. Sometimes it's about silence. Sometimes it's about listening. And it's real because the subject of prayer is our own lives. If God is the object of our prayer, Prayer is forming us, it's shaping us, it's going to change who we are and the way that we live out our lives. What I've been doing throughout this series is trying to give you, if this is not irreverent, a prayer toolkit. How do we pray, we often ask ourselves. And for some people, they know how to pray and are happy with their life of prayer. But for others of us, it's not always clear what to do and how to do it. And what we've been trying to do is in the middle of each of these sermons is create a little space to go, here's another way to think about prayer. In week one, Tori talked about prayer and petitionary prayer, about actually, if you don't know what to do, just ask. Just ask God for stuff. If all you can muster at this moment in your life is, here's my list, God, could you deal with it? That's okay. Is absolutely welcomed by the God who loves you. But maybe you're like, well, I'd like, I'd like my prayer to be more than just a list. We suggested last week, Kristen taught us about rote prayers. Actually, borrow somebody's prayers. Borrow a prayer from the Psalms. Borrow from Scripture. Borrow from prayer books. And as you read these prayers, you learn how to pray yourself. And this week, I want to invite Tyson to come, and he's going to talk to us about the prayer of examine. Just another thing to put in your toolkit that in these days where you feel like you need to pray but don't know how, here's something you can try. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, David. This is, uh, as we move into this, you know, daily examine, I love where David kind of paused there about this idea of being grounded in the real. Prayer is about experiencing what's real because the prayer of examine is, is a practice for us to walk through, to see God at work in our day-to-day life, in our reality, and in the way that we experience the world uh, around us. And so there's a great metaphor of a way to kind of understand this as we get into it, is this idea of looking at a photo with a friend and how that's a very different experience than when you look at photos by yourself. When you look at photos by yourself, you'll often flip through them rather quickly. You kind of know the context, so you can just skim past them. But when someone says, hey, let me see this photo album from a trip or a friend or, you know, maybe you've got a grandkid or new kids or whatever that might be, you slow down as you work through photos with someone else. You begin to explain what's happening in that moment. The photos, these still moments, begin to have a life of their own. They tell a story and you become more aware of the process and the details and the things you were experiencing and maybe smells we begin to move through photos very differently with others. So that's just a way that you can begin to think about this as we work through this daily examine. 
What I love about the daily examine as an exercise is it's a way that we then get to experience the Jesus of the mundane. I don't know about you, but I've grown up in church, and so growing up, my assumption was that we often only experienced and kind of saw God at work in the big and the unexplainable moments, you know? I'm thinking, if you again, if you know Scripture, Moses in a burning bush, you see these big, unexplainable moments, and we're like, that's where God is, and if I wasn't seeing that in my life, I then began to assume that God was idle. And I began to be deeply shaped by a story in Elijah, by, of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, where he has this moment and big things are happening around him as he's on a mountaintop in the presence of God, but he finds God in this gentle whisper, in this thing that could have been easily missed in something so small is where he experienced God. It wasn't in just the big moments. And now God can work in the big and in the grand, but those aren't always common. Rather, we believe that God is at work in our day-to-day lives, and so we'll find God at work and active in our common, little, mundane things of life. But the reality is, is for us to begin to experience those, to see them, we have to slow down. We have to stop, begin to reflect, and actually shape our prayer in this practice by looking backwards. Sometimes when we come to pray, to pray, we're simply looking forward. The daily examine is going to say, let's hold that, we'll get there but let's reflect on the past 24 hours of the past day that you have just experienced and find God in the midst of it. So uh, you've probably experienced this when you think about it because there's this saying, and at least I've heard it growing up, many of you probably have, that hindsight is 20-20. We're able to see things more clearly when we look back. Many of us probably have had those on grand scale moments where we've said, oh, I can see how all of this came together and I ended up in this place. The daily examine wants to make that a regular habit in our lives so that it's not spread out and then we're reflecting over years, but rather on a day-to-day basis. And so Soren Kierkegaard, a theologian, builds on this idea from a, you know, a spiritual practice side where he says, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. So what the daily examine is going to do and hopefully do for us is that by reflecting back, we're going to find ourselves in a healthier space of gratitude and joy as we then begin to move towards and look towards the next day. Because by becoming more aware of God's work in our lives and by our confession that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we then can go and God will be faithful again. And here's where I've seen him. And so there's where I'm going to start looking as I move towards my next day. So to get really practical, there's a list that the, that the daily exam and the prayer of exam works through. Um, and again, it's done as a reflection over the past day. So lots of people will do this um, before bed, but find what works for you. If you find before bed, you're falling asleep somewhere in the house. You can do it in the morning and just look over the past 24-hour period, whatever works for you. But the first thing that you're going to do with the prayer of examine is you're going to put yourself in God's presence in a really practical way. Again, this is about relationship, as David said. You're about to have a dialogue with God. So you can support this time, this part in multiple ways. You can maybe say things to connect your brain and to get you into a space ready to reflect where you can say something like, I'm in the presence of God or be present with me, God. We know God's present with us always, but that's a way that you can potentially connect. For others of you, you might be a visual kind of person, so maybe you've got a favorite chair that you like to sit in when you do some reflection. Maybe you stand back from that chair and you stare at it and visualize God as that is God's point of view looking at you 
to have this conversation and then go take your seat. Maybe for others of you, you get distracted by big mess in the house and whatever. Tidy up. Support yourself well so that you're not sitting there trying to reflect on your day going, I need to clean that up. And then you get up and you move on. Maybe it's your phone on do not disturb. Maybe it's leaving it in another room. Whatever that might be, you can support yourself well so that you can come to a place to say, I'm entering into a conversation with God and I want to be present to that. Because again, God wants to talk to you. You're about to go through pictures, not on your own, but with someone else. Then the next part that you're going to do is you're going to begin with reflecting on what made you grateful from the last day. Now, for many of us, this can feel rather awkward because we tend to have... uh, a great ability to critique first, to focus on the negative. It seems to be a strong skill set for many of us. Um, But we want to combat that because what our brain does is we then jump into problem-solving mode and we start to think about solutions. And if we're not careful and we're always thinking of the, the negative, your life, you can begin to assume, is just one big problem to be solved. But there are things that we can be grateful for each and every day. And so we want to start by being grateful. A great way to think about this is uh, many of us have probably had some sort of direction from a parent or someone in our life that when you get a gift, we start by saying thank you. That's what we say to, to, to kids, and many of us probably heard that. You start by being grateful before you do anything else with that gift. This process is about saying, what if we actually started to genuinely have the mindset that each day from God is a gift? Well, then beginning with thanks becomes a really normal way for us to start this time. So again, how you can support this time is remember you're in God's presence, you're having a conversation with him, and you can then begin to ask God to bring things to mind that I should be grateful for, and then name them. Name them as they come to mind. The big ones you'll find are easy, but don't forget the small little things. Maybe it's a smell after a rainfall. Maybe it's a view you had as you were driving home. Maybe it's a friend that made you laugh at some point in the day. Anything that brought you joy, you name, and then you appreciate it and savor it. Don't just skip past it. Savor that moment. Be grateful for that moment, that experience that you had in the day. Again, you're showing pictures to a friend. And what this step is going to do is it's going to help reframe some days that feel tough because we're going to begin to realize the little things that happened that we can be joyful and grateful for. And it's another reminder of the source of our blessings, which is God. Then we're going to move to the review. Now, this is going to make up the bulk of your time when you're doing the prayer of examine. You're going to review your past day from waking up until the moment you find yourself in this reflection space. Um, And what you're going to do in this is you're going to recall everything with as much detail as possible. So the things you felt, the things you thought, what you saw, your experiences, as much detail as you can call back to mind. Name it all. Walk through it. Relive that day. And not just the bad again but all the moments of the day. And it's all to be held in light of God's mercy and grace. As you're reflecting on this, you're going to see probably where God was at work. You're probably going to see areas that maybe you even participate in it or maybe even ways you moved away from God. And what's important to know is you're not naming what should be, but you're honest to what was. Okay, it's not about saying, well, I know I should have done this. No, just name what was. Maybe you had a great conversation. Maybe someone said something that that hurt you. Maybe you just found yourself soaking in a moment as light came through an office window. Whatever it may be, walk through your entire day. And so you can support this moment by asking yourself questions like, where 
where did I experience love? Where did I see God's invitation in my day? Whom did I love and who showed me love? He asked the questions of what disappointed me, what was tough. And again, this is another moment where it's significant when you're walking through hard days. Because instead of just focusing on stress, you begin to view the whole day honestly. Because oftentimes what happens is when we get stressed, we can forget the little things in those moments. And now I'm not saying ignore your problems. But I'm saying this examine is about holding your entire day honestly, both the good and bad together in tension to see where God was at work. Then at step four, and it's only at this point, do we begin to reflect on really what went wrong and starting to acknowledge that. And this is not to provoke shame, but this is to learn where things went wrong, what went wrong, and to grow in our humility and our reliance on God. And, and so in this moment, we begin to take responsibility so that we can become more free to give and to receive love by saying, hey, this is where it didn't go right. And you can support this time by asking yourself a question, the opposite of the one maybe in the review, to say, where did I fail to love today? When we look at some of Jesus' critique in the New Testament, there was a lot of critique for people who could love but didn't. They chose not to. So it's a question that we can ask of ourselves. And once you name it, you ask God for forgiveness, and then we resolve to ask forgiveness from anyone that we may be offended in the process as well. Now, let's just be really clear. As we all are human, we know that there's lots that we all have to work on. So don't wrestle with this point and say, well, it has to all be done at once. It doesn't. You're doing this with God. And so ask him to bring something to mind. And what's brought to your attention is usually God's nudging to say, hey, let's look at this thing. We know that there's lots, but hey, let's look at maybe this one pattern or behavior or whatever it may be. Acknowledge that you don't have to solve everything at once. And then you're going to end in the grace of God. Out of the reflection, the hope was be, would be is that you would see where God was gracious in your day over that last 24-hour period. And you would also receive it for where you fell short as you acknowledge what went wrong. And what that should do is that should then push us forward into the next day. And so how you support this time is, is being clear on what we mean by God's grace in this. What we mean by that is it's God's help, it's his encouragement, it's his presence. And so you end by asking for God's grace. Maybe it's for a challenge that you're looking forward, you know, at that's coming, or maybe it's just to become more aware of his work in your life as you go about your next day. And so the prayer of examine is a, is a fascinating one, and, and I think it's really practical. I think it's an easy one if you maybe haven't had much prayer in your life. It's an easy one to step into because it's a clear way that you can walk through a time with God and do a lot of reflection on your own. Uh, and it's an easy way for us to help identify where we move towards God and where we moved away. And maybe where we start to see God in our reality, in our everyday life. The prayer roots us in what is real. It says, this is who I am and God is a part of my everyday living. And my bet is, is that if you were willing to try this, to do this as a practice on your own, what would happen in your life is you would probably see yourself avoiding always looking at the negative. You would be able to see it on a more broad spectrum and be able to hold things in tension to say, yeah, there is some bad, but here's other areas that I can be grateful for. 
It would also probably help solidify some grace in your life by naming it, by remembering to see it, even on those difficult days. My hunch is, is you would probably find more joy because to quote um, Rob Bell, he says, if you want more joy, lower the bar because joy is everywhere around you. You can see it in all of the little things if we start to open our eyes to it. This, this type of prayer will help you begin to see patterns, both good and bad. It'll probably create more gratitude in the moment when you start to see the patterns of good. We're saying, hey, this person really brings joy to my life. We begin to see we're more grateful the next time we see them. It'll help us in the harder moments because we'll go, hey, I've seen this pattern before. I've reflected on this. And we'll become more likely to resist those bad patterns moving forward. And what this prayer really is doing is it helps you see where God was. So it's going to become much easier to see where God is in the moment. So by reflecting back, it then can launch us forward to participate in the world around us the way that God desires to use us. I'll hand it back to David. Thanks, Tyson. You see how prayer is beginning to form us. If you think if you were to take Tyson's advice and try maybe this in your daily routine, maybe just begin with it once a week in your routine, can you see how the prayer which is bringing you towards God would also begin to form and shape you and who you are as well. Let me, uh, let me land us this morning. The, the, the final line which we didn't talk about that opens up the Lord's Prayer that I think connects us to the examine, connects us to everything we've said so far, that, that prayer is raising, <laughs> that prayer raises things up to God, that prayer is a response that God has always moved first. That prayer invites us into relationship and into something real. And then Jesus throws this line out in the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. The world is a clash of kingdoms. The world is a clash of wills. Who gets what they want? How do things work? How does the world work. And Jesus invites us to pray a prayer. And perhaps the fifth thing that I want to say about prayer this morning then is that prayer is resistance. Prayer is to actually oppose something. There's something prayer stands against. Perhaps the kingdom that is not God's kingdom, the rule, the reign, the way of being that is not God's, a will or a want that is other than God's. Prayer says, what if this didn't happen? Instead, what God wanted to happen, happens. At some level, all prayer opposes something. Many of us come before God in prayer because the way things are is not the way that we want things to be. It is like this we see, and we go to God and we ask, what if it was not like this? At some level, we sort of all know that intuitively, that prayer is asking for a change. But have you thought about the things that we are asking for? Perhaps someone has illness. Perhaps something is breaking in our lives. Perhaps it's about power. Perhaps it's about 
a situation that's going on. We have prayed for Ukraine. We have prayed for wars. We have prayed for pandemics. We have prayed for relationships. We have prayed for illness. Many of our prayers are oppositions to reality. Here's how things are. And we go to God and we say, what if it was not like that? When Christians pray to our Father who is in heaven, we're praying that His way be the way things are. Even when reality, facts, science even, all say this is the case, we come before God and say, what if this wasn't the case? Eugene Rosenstock, QC, I uh, know that many of us were reading him this week. Um, <laughs> I was listening to a podcast. I wasn't even reading him. I was listening to a podcast, and the, the, the host of the podcast was reflecting on a piece that Eugene wrote in May of 1945. Eugene is a Jewish-German Christian. Right? So in 1945, I'll let your history join the dots on what that meant for him. And he wrote this article called Hitler and Israel, and they gave it a subtitle on prayer. And just those, those four words together, just to me, just attracted me immediately to this article. But he's questioning, how do you pray at this moment in history for him? A moment of just deep terror, a, noise of, a moment of all sorts of chaos going on in the world. I don't know if you can relate. And he says this about prayer. To pray means to be at the opposite pole from two and two are four. Which at first glance sounds like a ridiculous thing to say. Right? Well, two and two is always four. Well, yeah, two and two always is four. But when we pray, we come to reality and say, what if it wasn't like that? What if it was different like that? The doctor says, here's the diagnosis, and we go to prayer. What do we go to prayer for? We go to prayer that the diagnosis might not happen. We go to prayer that the way things are said to be might not be true. When we pray, we're at the opposite pole from two and two are four. Eugene continues, he says, it means to have accepted the fact that the whole security of past convention is no match for God's will at us in this moment. I mean, just think of it, that the whole security of past convention is no match for God's will for us at this moment. He's basically saying this, you can bring all of history, okay, all of everything that has ever happened and say, that's just the way it is. And, and prayer says, yeah, you can bring all of history you want. That's not a match for God's will. You can show me that 99 times out of the last 99 times, it has happened this way, but I'm still going to come to God in prayer and say, what if for time 100, it happened differently? Prayer is to oppose history even. True prayer supposes that anything might happen and that with God, nothing is impossible. Prayer is a resistance. Prayer is to stand against the way things are and imagine what if they were different. Prayer says, today I need two plus two to be 46. And as ridiculous as that sounds in the world, as ridiculous that sounds to fact, to history, to everything we know, when we come before God, we come before a God who, and we say, your will be done. Prayer asks us, 
to align ourselves with God and not with everything else. So we pray because we want things to be different. We raise things to God. We respond to God. We're invited into relationship with God. Prayer offers us something of the reality of the world and then invites us to keep praying, even when it's ridiculous, even when it's not what you're used to thinking, even when it looks hopeless. We come before God and we say, your will be done. Why don't you stand with me? I want to end with a responsive prayer, if that's okay. I love bringing our voices together to pray. And for a responsive prayer this week, which kind of leans into many of the things we say, I want to choose a particular old prayer, but I'm not going to lie. I chose this prayer because of which week it is. I'm going to stand here for this prayer. It was St. Patrick's Day on Thursday. St. Patrick's Day has a deeper history than Chicago dyeing its rivers green and lots of people drinking too much Guinness. I I feel the need to comment on that, but I won't. Um, Just to say, you uh, you know the saying, everybody's a little Irish on St. Patrick's Day, except for the Scottish, who are always Scottish. And, uh, <laughs> but St. Patrick was a missionary that brought the gospel uh, to the United Kingdom and into, uh, into Ireland and has some beautiful prayers out there that I want to invite us to pray together. And perhaps just in all of the chaos of the world, remembering the things, what is prayer? If you can remember nothing else from our teaching this morning, prayer is resistance. Prayer is to say to God, your will be done and not anyone else's will. Let me read this for you, and you respond at the bold points. Let us pray. May the strength of God pilot us. May the wisdom of God instruct us. May the way of God direct us. May the host of God guard us. Against temptations of this world. May Christ be before us. Christ be over all. Always be ours. Amen and amen. May God's grace and peace go with you this week as you pray.